Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We are back, and it's the OG3 yet again. And we have the same guests as last week. We are still with Vitelli this week. We're talking about a slightly different topic this week, but we still have Owen Weikert here and Bryce Schumann. Uh, they're going to walk us through some of the, the technology that we didn't really focus on too much last week, and that's IBF. And specifically, some of the things that they do that are different than everybody else. We're not going to hesitate. We're going to jump right mm -hmm. in. Owen, the big yeah, question here. is is definitely uh, your setup protocol has no shots. Tell me what's going yeah. on. I know. It's like the big dun dun dun. Like curtain, curtain rises and here we are. Yeah, yeah. everybody's <laughs> eyes get huge. I know. I know. I saw Bradley's like really leap there. So yeah, I, I came to Vitelli um, just about two months ago. I have felt like I've been able to rediscover IVF and, and what can really be possible. And I think a lot of that starts with our proprietary system of no FSH. And I know a lot of people listening that have experience with IVF or conventional flushing. That word is a four letter word, right? FSH costs a lot of money. I think it's up to $250 a bottle. I think that long-term I'm really, really proud of Vitelli for saying our system and our media is going to be able to do the work without FSH. We're going to be able to deliver the results without the use of this hormone. The hormone itself, long-term, do we really know the direct effects on that, on, on those individual donors? Uh, we know that it's, it's, it's not good for them long-term. Can we pinpoint overstimulation issues can we pinpoint donors that have chronic cysts that boils down to fsh and, and overstimulation absolutely so in terms of the animal in terms of the embryo and in terms of the food supply chain is less hormones in all aspects of meat and milk production probably a better thing our stance is 100 percent yes how we come up with no shots, those of you that have IVF experience with other companies, you're probably used to um, a one to a six shot schedule, which typically takes between you know a two cc dose to a whole bottle of FSH. And $250 is the retail cost of that right now. So thinking about that, the cost that can be built in per embryo cost savings without the use of FSH. We're really, really excited to say that IVF is more viable to a larger audience because of the labor that's decreased with no FSH, the time, the welfare of the animal is enhanced. It's a much less invasive procedure when we have to give less shots and have less animal movement. And we're really, really proud to say that Vitelli really putting the producer, the animal as the end goal that we don't need to rely on a drug to make embryos. I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. I mean, I always, well, first of all, I'm going to be looking at it on the animal side, right? You know, the, yeah. the repeated shots and the repeated movement. And I mean, those cows get used to going through the shoot, so they're pretty good there and it's not a huge deal to, to get them to go. But I mean, that many shots is, is not great for the animals and anybody who's ever run any kind of shot program on their farm, uh, when we're looking at reproduction knows that it's a lot of work it's a lot of time it's a lot of money so right. i i'm i'm excited to hear that there is somebody that's challenging that setup and 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 feels like they can do it in, in a way that that's beneficial for everyone 
with that, tell me what's the biggest challenge when you try to get this to go? Like where, where do you see the hiccups? Where are the bottlenecks when you're trying to get this to work? Yeah, I think people get really scared because people that have IVF experience have relied on FSH to create big follicles on the ovary, right? So this is an ovary. You can see here, let's pretend. <laughs> it's covered and hopefully if you have a donor population or an individual that has a nice follicular population, she's gonna have small and medium follicles, right? Probably mostly smalls, depending on her, her wave and her cycle. What FSH does is that it expands all of those follicles. It doesn't create more of them. It doesn't create you know, success in IVF. Um, we've again, proven that. And that's kind of a stigma is that we need FSH to make IVF work. And we need big follicles. We need medium and large follicles. You know, we need a follicle that's big enough so that we can actually aspirate it. And really just the technique has changed. The technique and the science behind the culture with Vitelli. We're saying that a small follicle is really valuable to us. A medium follicle is really valuable to us. That oocyte, no matter what stage she's in, coming from a small follicle and being a little bit immature, our technology has the ability to meet that oocyte where it is and help accelerate it. It has the ability to, to nurture that oocyte, hopefully into the day seven embryo. So I think that's a, a big, big shock to people. And um, my advice is, is trust the science and trust the data behind it and trust that this is a new movement of a technology that's been around for a while. I mean, we're going to have to ask you, you know, conception is, is the big deal, right? Is the right. conception any, any less compared to, to AI or, or even to IVF with other companies where they're utilizing FSH? Yeah, I would say that IVF conception rates, you know, but the Vitelli embryo versus a competitor is going to be nearly identical. We're going to be finding in a commercial dairy system, a conception rate of 40 to 45% is completely aligned with industry norms. And we got there without that additional cost, the additional pain of a shot schedule. Uh, so I 100% I, I stand by the performance of the embryo in any setting, whether that's you know, the kid with the show cow that wants to haul into a satellite center of ours, or the dairyman that says, I need genetic progress double as fast. I need it from the female and uh, the male side. I really need to do this. I need to correct issues that I have. I need to correct uh, inbreeding coefficients that I've, I've realized that I'm struggling with. Um, the embryo has the ability to fix those things while in my opinion, being very competitive within the embryo community. Um, but also, I think we're getting to the point where, you know, our 2023 goals, you know, we really want to say that our Vitelli embryo is, is really competitive with sex semen. I think it is now, but we're going to keep improving every day. So the big question that, that comes up is that in a lot of cases, when we're talking IVF, when we're talking about, about any of that kind of work, we're talking about the potential for higher abortion rates as well. Is, is that something you guys see? Again, we're we're trending. We have, I'd, I'd say, I've we've reviewed twenty five thousand data points with um, pregnancies conception rates all the way through many different systems. I think that's a pretty robust database in the IVF game. Um, we're running a very industry average of six to eight percent abortion rate, and that 
uh, is throughout the whole pregnancy. You're going to have slightly higher, you know, at that 8%, most likely, with a heifer population as your recipient. You're going to have a little less preg rate in a milking herd, but you're going to be picking up maybe a couple points advantage in overall live calf numbers. So I often tell people that, yes, we're in the embryo business, but we're actually in the, in the calf business. We're not here to perpetuate all of this time and all the science and the work that our crew does, the producer does to give you uh, an aborted calf at the end of the day. So the uh, competency of our embryos is completely aligned with the industry average. So the, the question that we've come to that I kind of left you guys on a cliffhanger uh, <laughs> before we started, the question I've always asked and I subjectively see mm -hmm. is that compared to AI calves, our IVF calves are less viable after they're born. They're less healthy. They have more problems. Is there anything to tell me that I'm, I'm right or wrong in, in your mind? I think that there is some differentiations in different IVF systems with birth weight. And I think that's important to point out. Um, Vitelli is a system that is, is uh, fetal calf serum free. And that is an ingredient that really makes robust embryos and lots of pregnancies. Um, but it can lead to big birth weights that lead to unthrifty calves. So some systems do contain that ingredient. Um, but building, Joe, on what you said just about general thriftiness, I think when we look at homozygous populations of full siblings, um, even though they're on a genomic or genetic bell curve, you know, of, of, of you know, just like you and your siblings, you're all from the same mom and dad, but you have varying uh, genetic value. I think what's missing specifically, <laughs> I'm an identical twin, so I can say it, I can, I think, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, that, just, that yeah. just made me think that now I'm going to have to get in touch with my brother and tell him I know. that we have to argue yeah. about our genetic value. Yep, yep, you're, you're, you're the superior one, I know that already. Yeah, that's right. But I think specifically in purebred cattle, Maybe just, you know, Holstein breed, I think, is an example. I think we have a lot of undiagnosed recessives in, in purebred cattle. And I think that as we make more and more homogeneous populations, a lot of those recessives are starting to show up. And I, I don't know that for sure. Um, just knowing the, you know, the, what the trends that I've seen um, just we're getting such a tight population that I think maybe the next step of analyzing a lot of these really similar full siblings, I think there, there could be some genomic markers there. But I would say in, in terms of, you know, my experience with embryos um, for five years, you know, beyond Vitelli, before Vitelli, is that there should be no statistical difference in the survivability of an IVF calf versus an AI calf. Uh, I'm kind of on board with the same. My thought process has always been the the birth weight and the delivery score is mm -hmm. is what has differentiated the two. And, right. and so I'm glad that at least someone out there agrees with me. That's really system specific, especially I would say, you know, back when companies were really trying to define what the media and the culture system could do and should do. I think that should do is, is maybe the big thing. Um, should it make these beautiful grade one you know, stage seven embryos, or should we be focusing on live caps? And um, I think that's a paradigm shift that the industry went through a couple of years ago. And I, I'm really, really proud as a 
supporter of IVF technology, of where we've come with the embryo today. And I think maybe my message on a whole is for everybody uh, is to trust the science. It's not a, it's not a product or a, a solution for everybody. I love when it is, of course, um, but I think that it's it's a tool to get somewhere that you you really aspire to. Bradley, do you do you utilize any IVF up at at Mars? We do not. Uh, just for the simple fact of you know half of our herd is organic, it changes <laughs> everything. If you don't have to give animals shots, then well, maybe there might yeah. be an opportunity there. My my real passion is more sustainable bovine in the world. And I, I am currently a student in Harvard and I talk to my professors about this all the time. Uh, and I, first of all, I think they, they think I'm crazy for being so engaged and involved in ruminant agriculture. Cause that's a, you know, not in every case, but in some cases, you know, that's a big hex, you know, those cows are bad, cows are bad. And I think that the more that we can adapt as an industry to trying a new uh, to being open to saying an embryo can bring me value, not just by the maternal value of this milk cow or this maternal beef replacement that I'm making, but also what value can be created from a terminal uterus that would have been used to make an average replacement animal. And I think that's a really compelling story that we don't speak as an industry enough. I think that each uterus and each heat cycle has a prescribed value. And while I believe that we should maybe be turning the dial down on how quick and how fast and how forward we want to make volumes of pregnancy, we really need to be focusing on the quality of each pregnancy. The, the value of each pregnancy, I think, is something that we struggle with. And that's this whole dairy beef discussion, right? Is trying to right. figure out how to take that terminal animal or, as you described, the terminal uterus and make it more valuable. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a it's a great conversation to have and something we need to talk about more. Bradley, you had some. Well, it, it seems to me that if you, you, you could really use this technology if you're genomic testing your animals. We've, mm-hmm. like, we've genomic tested everything here and you could look at those animals that may be not as good of genetics mm-hmm. compared to the other ones in your herd and maybe take some embryos from the good ones and put someone in the not so good ones. So you're not necessarily perpetuating those sort of, you know, I, I, I don't want to say I call them marginal. Genetics, but, I call right, them marginal. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> help improve the genetic level of your herd. Or if you, maybe you want to put beef embryos in those, um, marginal dairy, uh, dairy genetics and, and create yeah. beef populations. Correct. And I think Minnesota as a state has probably been the most progressive in that area of saying we can utilize a cow herd and maybe our aging or older lactation cow herd as a new value center via the embryo. And that's exciting. Everybody wants to keep that fourth lactation that's just doing her job and she's the invisible cow. But maybe we don't necessarily want a female replacement out of her. I think that's where IVF uh, and embryo transfer, transfer, even you know, as a terminal entity, makes so much sense. So one of the things that I always comes up in my, my brain when I'm thinking about this is, is mm-hmm. maternal influence on the pregnancy, right? So walk me through how you think about that. 
Yeah. I, if we're talking about recipient selection, Joe, is that kind of your thought? Yeah. I, I just, I think that this is such an untapped part of embryo transfer and the story doesn't start and stop in the Petri dish. It means so much to have a competent recipient. We know how I, I can, you know, the nuts and bolts of uh, that embryo being a seven day organism and aligning with a seven day heat. Uh, you know, that's, basic, I think, biology, but, you know, we're, we're able with the embryo to have actually stretch that heat cycle. So we can go 24 or 12 hours uh, on either side of that heat so that maybe that dairy wouldn't have to breed on Sundays per se, if that makes sense, which I really like. I think that's a un untold fun thing about the embryo. But if we're looking at populations based uh, to, to find good recipients, if dairies are having, dairies or beef operations, if they're having problems making pregnancy with semen, an embryo is probably not gonna fix those problems. It's probably gonna actually punctuate them and make them look even uglier. Joe's like, yes, exactly, yes. But I will say that there are some really interesting management things that we can talk about to increase the value of a heat because we can make a pregnancy more efficiently. And I think sometimes, again, going back to that dial on pregnancy creation that, you know, we've been pushing days open, pushing days open so, so hard. I think an embryo has great success in, in 80 days open and to 100. I really do. And that's probably a little bit scary for some people that say, I really don't want my cows to be open that long. I keep pushing, pushing, pushing to you know, shorten my days open. The competence of that uterus and just the regaining tone in that uterus, um, having everything firing in all cylinders and actually having a strong enough CL to hold that pregnancy really, really starts to evolve around 75 to 80 days after calving. And, you know, just in terms of recipient selection, I know that Vitelli, Bryce and myself, we want to be able to provide levels of analytical tools in the near future to help re recipient herds or you know, commercial guys make the right decision on recipients. And I have guys that have a lot of success looking at genomic values. You know, they're looking at uh, HCR, for example. Um, they're, they're not putting an embryo in, in really, really ugly HCR heifers. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a believer yet, but I think that's the right train of thought. You know, we're, again, if we're gonna create value, let's put this into a, an environment where it has a shot. So that's a big thing. All right, so now we have to talk about cost. I mean, that's okay. always the, the the question that it's going to yeah. come up, and and if we don't address it, it's it's just not going to work. So Owen or sure. Bryce, yeah. who's who's the one to talk to about cost? That's Owen, me. It yeah, is. Well, All right. on the embryo side. Yeah. So what's awesome about Vitelli and what got me up, got me involved and engaged in the company and some of these discussions were before I came to the company. We're just so so positive about the fact that Vitelli is only selling number one frozen embryos. We can sell a number two embryo if that's the client's choosing at a discount, but our entire model is based off of just the frozen number ones. And I think that's really, really revolutionary when our biggest competitor in the embryo world is sex semen, essentially. If we can take a frozen product versus a frozen product, but have potentially double the genetic gain. There's an incredible story 
for that to continue to evolve and move forward in the commercial space. And I think a lot of other companies relied on fresh transfer. And a lot of that kind of goes back to just IVF was at one time just for really elite seed stock. And that's just not the case anymore. You know, elite seed stock guys wanted every shot at every pregnancy, even that grade three or uh, stage four, grade two embryo that looked really crappy in the dish and had maybe a 10% shot at making a pregnancy. They were still going to put that embryo in because that could have been the hundred thousand dollar you know, World Dairy Expo sale topper or uh, the, the mile high sale in Denver sale topper and the Angus side. What I think is very, very inspiring is that we are only charging for the number one frozen. And we have a great network of satellite centers where you can get that work done. We're really, really able to come on farm for a very comparable price to you guys, to a client, client hauling into a satellite. And typically, you know, an, an embryo commercially, you know, we're really, really trying to say that we want to maintain our market, but we want to be fair to the dairymen. So depending on the volume, I think that Vitelli is as competitive as anybody in that commercial space with a frozen embryo. You're not going to say a number for me, are you? I don't because it can, it can really be variant. Yeah, I know, and I, I, know. I just want to keep it, you know, on, on that point. Okay. Yeah. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> Bryce, is that, are we looking at the same kind of thing on the beef side? I mean, it, are you, you guys feel like you're very competitive uh, price-wise on that end? I think we have a, a great go-to-market strategy. I think the thing that differentiates us is what Owen is talking about is uh, you pay for a grade one embryo. There's no other ancillary fees for setting them up or freezing them or you know, it, it's simple. And, and the folks that I'm talking with really like that because they know when they get the call or they call into the lab uh, eight days later, they know exactly what they have, exactly what the bill is going to be. You know, transparency on that end is, is great. So we've kind of talked cost, even though no one will tell me a number, which is fine. Uh, let's talk about benefit. You know, obviously that's a, that's a ratio that, that is actually probably more important, right? So to tell me, okay, when it comes to cost, how am I mm -hmm. offsetting the cost? The story really can be told most easily on an operation before dairy that has a big genetic spread. Uh, and that's really, really common. We all talk about bell curves and, and populations and, and um, you know, population genetics. I, I think that what's so amazing is to see an operation that we can increase the genetic value in one generation by double, at least. We can do that even more with purchased embryos. You know, a lot of our clients are looking for markets. Um, we have in the dairy space in particular, I think that the value of, of seeing a marginal or just antiquated Holstein herd being upgraded to the most elite cheese merit jerseys in the world probably scares people to think, uh, you know, that switch. It sounds a little bit like Jurassic Park or sci-fi uh, <laughs> because they're, they're that opposing almost in a way. Um, but the value of that genetically, I think can be really easily proven on paper. I'm working with some great professionals at University of Wisconsin-Madison to help quantify that, to help quantify the lifetime production 
of an increase with a breed change. I'm really, really passionate about um, showing that value. And that's something that Vitelli's working on as we look more and more at analytics and how we can provide comprehensive solutions. That is a point of interest that no one else in the industry seems to be addressing. I think the bull studs are trying, um, but a lot of their um, IP is based off of semen usage. And I think what's so nice about the embryo is the value of one generation change and speed has value. And um, I think that is even more and more evident at the milk buyer cooperative level. Uh, we need X amount of valuation in the milk that we're buying by this date and the embryo is the way to get there. Um, same with guys who want to be crossbreeding. Um, you can make a three-way cross of your ideal cross in every generation with an embryo. You know, what's your value there? So I think a lot of it's situational, but I think the ability to double or triple the genetic value of a herd is inconceivable to think of that small embryo, that small one, you know, one organism, how that can really shift a whole population. Well, this is a discussion that I have with with cattle producers and every, everywhere. Uh, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter beef, dairy, and and the discussion is how to bring the the bottom up in your herd. And we've always talked about how you know everyone's looking to go higher on the top end. Well, in my opinion, in ninety nine percent of cases, bringing the bottom up is going to be more beneficial for that herd than ever taking the top higher. I really like. The ability to do that quickly because like you said speed has value so I, my question on the beef side bryce am i am i wrong am i wrong or am, am i on the right track when i'm saying that the bottom needs to come up usually before the top goes higher i, I think you're spot on mm -hmm. and uh and it, it can actually be a combination of the two i i'm just thinking about uh the data i got a week ago on my uh feed efficiency. I had a two-year-old heifer that that uh, raised my most efficient gaining bull. Well, she just uh, she just calved yesterday. So in a matter of weeks, mm -hmm. I can start to uh, gather IVF embryos. And in that same data set from my feed efficiency, I know the cows that aren't getting it done. And you know, they they can raise something out of my best one. So in that combination, I take my poor producers out of production and I put my elite producers in production. Right. Perfect. So I think we've got most of it. I think we, what we need to touch on before we, we wrap up here is that uh, we got to come back to this whole sustainability uh, conversation. Owen's on, so we can't avoid it. We got to talk about, you know, how does IVF contribute to sustainability? We covered it a little bit last episode, but give us a rundown again. Yeah, I, I worked um, in my past before Vitelli in, in genomic testing. And a lot of that um, was building and thinking about repro strategies and genomic strategies to create a, a, a whole milk shed of hundreds of thousands of, of animals that was actually over four continents. Um, how could we improve on that the most quickly? And every time I made a decision tree with a producer, whether he was milking cows in Wisconsin or in Kansas or in Italy, we always got asked the question, but I need to do this faster. I need to do this better. I need to make more animals of value 
and find solutions to create value from, from other pregnancies as well. That is sustainability to me. I, I work with uh, John Noble up here in New York, and I, I'd like to give him a shout out if he's listening. I, I think he's one of the most reputable people in this entire business and just the most progressive, thoughtful person that gives a, you know, gives a darn about his community and the state. And he told me one time, I was sitting at his office and he told me, I asked him, I said, what does sustainability mean to you? And he said, sustainability means vibrancy. And it means the ability to, to shift and, and to be able to change. And I think the more pressure that is put on our, our ruminant agriculture, um, beef and dairy production in the United States, the ability for the embryo to shift populations or whole milk sheds or entire feed yards for miles about the genetics in those yards, that's the kind of discussion that gets me really excited, especially if we're using genomics and other tools to get there, all the different things we can use to be really, really um, analytical and push progress faster. I think that's at the end of the day, what sustainability means is being vibrant and able to think on our toes. And um, I think the embryo from a genetic standpoint does that as good as anything. And I'm really, really excited about the future for the IVF embryo as we are so, so, so lucky to push it out of its stigma of only being for a certain amount of people. I really think that we can start to spell out the value that it's for everybody. Oh, perfect. I don't think we can wrap it up any better than that. So we're going to we're going to cut it there and, and call it call it a day. Thanks again to to Bryce and Owen for being on for for two weeks in a row here. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. you. All right. With that, you know the drill. Scathing rebuttals, questions, comments, they go to the Moosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. If you want more information uh, about what we talked about today, please reach out to us or visit vitelli.com. That's V-Y-T-E-L-L-E.com. Catch us on Facebook. We're on Facebook most days at UMN Beef and at UMN Dairy. We're on Twitter as well, at UMN Moosroom. Emily's also on Twitter at... UMN Farm Safety. Perfect. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week. Bye. You don't get a shout out, Brad. You just don't get one. Yeah. Bye. Come on. You're done. (laughs)